0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 21. If you're visiting Christ Church, uh, my name's Mark. We're glad you're with us. I'm Get to be one of the ministers here and, and uh, happy to serve in that capacity and we're glad you're with us. As Zach said earlier, we're in this series called The Gospels. So if you've been missing a few weeks or this is your first time, let me tell you what we're doing. We're taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from your New Testament and we're syncing those together to the best of our ability to find the, uh, a close to uh, accurate description of the chronology of Jesus' life. We may have a couple of moments in and out, but it's unintentional. We're doing the best we can with it, but we're trying to show you the story of Jesus and how he came to be known and how he revealed himself and what that revelation means to each one of us. And today we're gonna get into a text in Mark chapter one that is significant to most every one of us. And let me explain it this way. One of the favorite stories I ever heard was about a drug enforcement administrative officer working for the government who stopped by a ranch in Texas and he met the rancher and he said, I'm here to inspect your ranch to make sure there's no illegally grown drugs here. And the rancher shrugged and said, well, you will not find anything, you can look all you want, but I'd suggest you don't go into my South field. And instantly this man had an ego because he exploded. And he's like, I have the authority of the federal government. And he said, he removed his badge, and he showed it right in the face of the rancher, and he said, see this badge? This badge means that I'm allowed to go wherever I want, whenever I want. I don't have to answer any questions or put up with any of this. Do you understand? Have I made myself clear? The rancher said, sure. Picked up his rake and went back to doing what he was doing. He said about three minutes later, he heard a shriek, and he looked across the south pasture, and there was the DEA officer running for his dear life. And behind him was the biggest bull on their ranch. And the farmer said he calculated that he wasn't going to make the fence before the bull made him. And so he just ran over to the fence. He dropped his rake, ran over to his fence, and he yelled these words, Show him the badge! (laughs) All right. Authority. I don't like it, do you? Oh, I like authority when I have it. I don't like authority when you have it. And it's a power thing, isn't it? Today we're going to talk about authority from the scriptures. You're going to see a moment that all of us encounter where the authority of Jesus has powerful impact. Let's look at verse 21 of Mark chapter 1. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teachings because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, "'What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God.' Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, I know you all can do the math, but we're in Mark chapter 1, right? We're only in the 21st verse. In Matthew, we're in Matthew chapter 4. And in Luke, we're in Luke chapter 6. And in uh, John, we're already in John chapter 5 as we've put these all together. But it's interesting that Mark opens his, the first gospel. Mark was the first one to write the gospel. So in the first story of Jesus' life that was written down and shared with people, Mark jumps right in from his baptism and his inauguration into ministry right into this moment in time. He's telling us something. Something about the authority of Jesus. And he's telling us what took place. He's telling us that the Old Testament told us what the new king would do and Mark's out to prove to us he did it. So he takes him into this place where his authority is discussed. When I was doing my graduate work, one of the classes I had to take was on organizational leadership. And at looking at that course, uh, we talked a lot about authority, and I learned some things. For instance, there's different kinds of authority that people have. A king has inherited authority. The reason a king or queen serves is because they come from the right lineage, and their authority is handed to them from their forefathers. There's the president of a corporation exercises delegated authority. Uh, I happen to sit on a board of directors for two different Christian organizations, and our job is to hire a president and make sure that that president serves the purposes they've been asked to serve. And then the president runs the organization. That's called delegated authority. The president serves at the wishes of the board of directors. And then there's a professor who has achieved authority. And what that means is they've earned a degree and they have commensurate experience to that. And so because of that, they have a degree. So I'm allowed to teach uh, at a couple of our Bible colleges because I have a master's degree in a certain field. And because of that, ridiculously, they accredit me that I know what I'm talking about. It's not always accurate, but it's applied. So here's what we have. We have inherited authority, delegated authority, achieved authority, and Jesus walked in the synagogue, and whenever Jesus taught, the Bible tells us over and over and over, that people realized there was an authority about Jesus that was unlike any other teacher, because all other authority is given to somebody, and in this case, Jesus is the authority. He doesn't have authority given to him by God. He is the authority. That's why the incarnation matters, the God of the universe became man and dwelt among us John chapter 1. So he doesn't speak on behalf of others. He speaks the truth. He would later say, "Father, everything you told me to say I've said," meaning that I have connected this to the truth of heaven. He is the authority. And when he taught, his authority was so unique. It was it was so beyond human authority that people stood up and noticed. And then Mark tells us that there were two reactions in the room. The people were amazed. And a demon possessed man screamed. The people were amazed, and the demon man, or the demon, was terrified. Now, if you read this in a Western mindset, you'll stop and say, Well, one group got it right, and the other group got it wrong. But I think we might misappropriate who got it right and who got it wrong. Because the ones who got it right weren't the people that were amazed. The ones who got it right were the people who were terrified. The people who were amazed, it didn't change them at all. You see, here's the point I'm going to drive home over and over and over this morning from this text. The authority of Jesus is not merely to be admired, it's to be experienced. You can know Jesus is awesome, you can know he's holy, you can know he's good, you can know he's righteous, and not change a lick of your life. You see, James tells us that the demons know and shudder, right? They know who he is. So if you want to get it right, the demon got it right, and the crowd got it wrong. Now, we're in the third phase of these uh, five movements of Jesus' life. We started with the arrival, then we went to the period of obscurity, and now we're in the period of recognition. And what's significant about the recognition is the first person, in fact, Mark points this out regularly, the people who first understood who Jesus was were the demon-possessed people, not the normal, good, religious folks. The first testimony in the gospel of Mark to the identity of Jesus came from a demon. I want to ask and answer two questions from this text this morning that will lead us into a pretty powerful time of worship that's to follow, where we use music to express and testify, and I hope you'll join us in that when we're done. What makes the demon terrified? You see, in verse 23, it says, Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, Oh, there's so much meat on the bones that I would love for us all just to come to my house. We'll turn on the masters and we'll talk about this text. It'll take us all day and it'll be awesome. But we can't, so let's be quick. A man in the synagogue, isn't that funny? Demons go to church. We think they have nothing to do with the truth. No, the demons have a lot to do with church because what they've done is created a false religion within the midst of the pursuit of God. And so in this moment, there's a man in the synagogue who's in worship, who's possessed by an evil spirit, and he cries out, It's interesting, the word that our Bibles translate in the most English common description is he cried out, but actually, it's the verb to show strong emotions or to scream. When Jesus came into the presence, the demon responded. And when he taught the truth, the demon responded. And his presence caused the demon to respond. I remember one time, I don't know why I did this. I really don't. I thought it might be funny, or who knows what the consequences were gonna be. But my brother Scott and I had bunk beds in our room, And we were in there one night, and it was, or uh, sorry, it was one afternoon. I don't know why we were hanging out in our room, but we were. And I just decided to start doing this. Stop it. Ow, Scott, quit. Stop. Thinking for sure. My mom would come up and yell at him, and that would be funny. I didn't know dad came home. And Dale was walking upstairs. Normally he had his keys on his belt, so he sounded like reindeer, so we knew he was around. He didn't that day. And my dad walked in the room thinking he was going to pummel his Son Scott for beating up on me when he looked into our room. Scott was on his bed reading. I was down on my bunk reading. Guess who got pummeled? When my father came in the room, it sounded something like this: Ah! I shrieked. My dad laughed. So the so the punishment was only that I had to go clean out the garage. But he he laughed because I shrieked like a little girl scared to death that I was. And he walked in, and I wasn't expecting his presence. And in the synagogue, the demon is working within the synagogue. And he's possessing this man to try to keep him away from the goodness of God. And Jesus walks in and he shrieks. It wasn't just this little subtle, oh, Jesus, It was, it's, it's him. 1 John 3 8 says, the son of man appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You see, Mark is trying to show us that Jesus had to come and break the chains of our sin and he had to break the dominion of Satan over us. He didn't just come to tell us to get a second chance. He came to destroy the powers that were all around us, the powers that have kept us down, the powers that we gave ourselves to. So before we think that there's some external force that is doing something to us we don't want done, no, we joined those forces when we told God to leave us alone and sinned. We gave ourselves to the other power, and Jesus came to break that realm. And when he comes in, there's this moment of terror Why was the demon terrified? I'd like to show you four things from the text that answers that question for me. First of all, his word has authority. The words of Jesus have power. They have authority. Look at verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. You see, demons are false angels of light working within religion to deceive and destroy Satan doesn't go after things that are so obscure and ridiculous that no common sense would follow it. He goes right as close to to Christianity as he can, but he deviates into this thing called religion so that you and I will try to practice what we want to do for God rather than what God's asked us to do for him. That small variance makes all the difference. So in this place of worship, Jesus begins to teach, and this man shrieks. This demon cries out, 2 Corinthians 4 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. This authority, this rule, this dominion, this jurisdiction was not like the scribes. You see, back. In the Old Testament, when the people of Israel had started taking on foreign gods, God handed them over to their desires and a nation named Babylon came in and took them into captivity. At the end of that captivity, some were allowed to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And while they were rebuilding the walls, they found the sacred scrolls that they thought had been lost. And Ezra, a priest stood up and read the laws to the people. And the people wept and repented for not knowing God's will and ignoring him the entire time. And they they committed themselves to the words. And from Ezra came this group of men called scribes who would take the scriptures because the people were illiterate for the most part and they didn't have their own copy of the scrolls. So the scribes would hold the scrolls and they would come in and each week they would develop and share with people what the scrolls said and what it meant. But as that got down the line, it diluted what the word said, and it became what the rabbis thought. So instead of talking about what God said, the scribes would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this from the school of such-and-such, and and Rabbi so-and-so says this from this school. And if you listen to preaching today, if I can be critical for a moment, if you listen to preaching today, it is too much about what other preachers think and what schools of theology think instead of what Jesus thinks. And the reason the church doesn't have the power it's supposed to have is the word of God has not been lifted up to its rightful place. We have to return to this. And so in this moment, you hear them saying, Jesus taught, he didn't quote other rabbis. He didn't quote schools of theology. He didn't quote the the ancient uh, theories and, and traditions. He just quoted God's word and he told us what God said. And he had authority. And notice that when he did that, the demon shrieked because his words have authority. The demon knew that they had developed an untrue false religion and that the light of truth was blowing it away. It was revealing it for the falsehood that it was. Because Satan was telling people that if you work hard enough and you try hard enough that heaven's for good people. That's just not true because none of us are good. Even on our best today, day, we've all failed and rebelled, haven't we? And so in the midst of this, we try our best, but our best is pretty unattractive. And in the midst of this, Satan knew that what he had developed was being uncovered. John would say in the first chapter of John that the light exposes the darkness, and the darkness doesn't like it. And Jesus exposed, and there was a reaction. You see, the authority of Jesus is not to be admired. It's to be experienced. And then the second thing, not only were his words authoritative, but his judgment has authority. Verse 24 could actually be one point, but I split it for two because I like the distinction. Verse 24, he says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? That's a pretty interesting conclusion. Jesus walked in the synagogue. He taught that day. All he did was teach the truth of God. And the reaction of the demon was, You're going to destroy us. Why? Because the demon knew who he was. The demon knew from the beginning of time when he was created and he was around the throne of God And the judgment of God came down on their rebellion and excommunicated them from the presence of God. He knew the final destruction that they would all face. Satan knows that his end is in the pit of fire. He knows it clearly. The demons know that when God shows up, their party's over, their influence is over, and their authority's over, even though that authority matters not at all. You see, in the judgment, he says, what do you want with us? I I tend to believe that when he calls him Jesus of Nazareth, it's, it's almost mocking the people there. He's saying, they call you Jesus of Nazareth. I know, I know who you are. And you're not confined to Nazareth. I sat at your throne and I served you and then I chose not to and, and now we're at odds. Matthew eleven twelve says, the kingdom of God suffers violence. We wonder what that means. What did Jesus mean when he said that? Well, we know that there will be men that will try to take over the church and try to use its power for their own gain. That's clear. Throughout history, it's been clear. But it also means that the demonic forces are doing everything they can to establish a stronghold and to hold people captive. Because Jesus came to break the chains of sin and break the dominion of Satan, and he did that. So, what makes a demon scream? When the words, the authoritative words of Jesus, expose their lies, and when his judgment reveals their motives. Thirdly, his purity has authority. Again, in verse 24, concerning his purity, he says, I know who you are. In other words, they don't, but I do. You are the Holy One of God. In Luke chapter 1, when the angel appeared to Mary, he said that you're going to have the Son of the Most High God. And, and the demons knew that it was by the word of Jesus, by the authority of Jesus, they were cast out. And he knows that the book of Revelation, and when he returns, he will speak a word. There will be no battle. He will speak a word and Satan will disappear. That clean That quick, don't buy into religious fiction that tries to tell you what the Bible doesn't. Jesus will speak and Satan will hide. That's the way it's going to work. That's what the Word of God says. He has that much authority. Why? Because He's the Holy One and sin cannot be in His presence. And when they sinned in the presence of God in the heavens, they were cast out. It will happen again, it will happen again, and it will continue to happen. It was His purity, it was His Word, it was His judgment. And the fourth thing that I see in this that makes a demon scream, his power has authority. And this is the part that makes my tail wag. This is the John Wayne part of the text, and I love those. Verse 25, Jesus said sternly, be quiet and come out of him. And I love it, because he did both. Jesus said, be quiet. and You'll notice the demon doesn't say another word. He tells him to come out of him. And then verse 26, like a petulant child, yeah, because I grew up in a family of four boys, we were punched each other all the time. For Sometimes it was affectionate, sometimes it was war. And I remember my dad coming in and seeing my brothers and I scrapping and separating us, and he would do this ridiculous thing. He'd have us look at each other and say, tell him you love him, <laughs> I'll pass. And he'd do it, you know, like under threat. I love you, I love you too and then he'd turn around and Scott would hit me one more time and I'd kick him, you know and it was, that's how we ended this I love what takes place here Jesus says be quiet and come out of him and the demon has to obey listen to me he has to obey he doesn't have more power and authority than Jesus he has to do exactly what God tells him to do but when he does come out, what does he do? he violently shakes the man and throws him to the ground almost like a petulant kid kicking his brother one last time To get his way. But what I love about this is when you read it in Luke chapter 4, Luke tells uh, the story of this event and Luke records and the man was not harmed. I love that. He throws the guy on the ground. He comes out of him. The guy stands up and looks at Jesus. Didn't hurt. I love that moment. It makes me happy. Jesus is protective. His authority protects us. It's powerful. Notice that there's no dialogue. There's no negotiation. There's just submission. There's no, I'm not going to, and you can't make, no, no. The minute Jesus speaks, his authority over the demons is so powerful, his words are acted on. Oh, if the church would act like a demon every now and then and hear the words of Jesus and just act on them, how the power of Christ might be displayed in our world, how the hope of the gospel might have its place. The demon knew he was the king, And he had no other choice but to submit to his power, his authority, his purity, his word. The authority of Jesus is not merely to be admired. It's not to amaze us. It is to be experienced. Well, the second question I want to raise is a much briefer question, but is what is so amazing then about this authority? And I want to show you something that may may catch you by surprise like it did me. Let's begin in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue... They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, there, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Jesus came and and the power of what we just read was we can get caught up in a lot of details. He was healing, he was casting out demons. He was healing, he was casting out demons. But there's so much more to Jesus and his authority. If you go back to Genesis and you see everything that was shattered and broken in the garden, everything, the dominion of man over creation was shattered by our rebellion. We were no longer working under God's dominion. We were trying to establish our own. And they lost everything. They lost control over nature. They lost control over the animal world. They lost control over their own souls and and sin. They lost control over death and life. They lost control over so many different factors. They could have said no to Satan and silenced him, but instead they submitted to him and became under his power. But when you read the Gospels, as we journey through this together as a church, you're going to see that everything they threw away, we got back through Jesus, only through Jesus. So let's just do a little Bible quiz here. I know you love those. Did Jesus overcome death through the resurrection? So you just got your Easter sermon? Take next week off. <laughs> no, please don't. Okay, so, so he overcame death. Did he overcome nature? Yeah, he's taking a nap in a boat during a storm. He gets up and he goes, shh, and immediately, not over time, immediately the water's calmed. Did he, did he restore control over the animal world? It's like, yeah, he needed tax money. He pulled up a fish. There was a denarii in his mouth. He's good. He says, cast your net over the side. We don't fish today. Cast your net over the side. Too many for the boats to bring in. So he showed dominion over the animal world. Did he show dominion over demonic world? Yep, check that box. We saw that today. How about the physical world? Check the box. Mark is checking the boxes. Everything the Old Testament said the Messiah would do to restore what we blew Mark is saying, check, check, check. Now, I don't understand the healing of the mother-in-law. That, to me, is a dangerous thing. But anyway, <laughs> he's God. He's figuring that one out. And my mother-in-law will hear this. Sandy, I'm sorry. Okay. So, you look at that and you think, well, here it was. It was the power, right? No. Listen to me clearly right now. The proof of Jesus was the miracles. The power of Jesus was found somewhere else. And we think if I could only perform miracles, if I could heal this person. No, 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 listen. The message that we're sent to bring is not what he will do for you. The message we're to offer the world is who is he? He is the authority of all authorities. He is God completely. When he speaks, it's true, it's right, and it's good for everybody. The demon knew it. The crowd didn't. Look at verse 35 and you'll see where the power came from. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. I'm going to propose to you this morning that a call to prayer is a call to power. Not your power, but the power of Jesus in our world. If I call you to pray and God never does another thing for you, then don't think that it failed. Because we are no longer here as people, To get what we want, we are here to give them Jesus and the power and majesty and authority of Jesus. If you look, Jesus constantly was going to be with his father alone. The power of his life came from his relationship with God and his time spent in the presence of God. It wasn't the miracles he performed. It wasn't the places he went. It wasn't the walking on the water. No one has ever been saved by a miracle. Everyone's been saved by Jesus. So the proof is in the miracles. The power was in the prayer and the relationship with God. And let's read verse 35 one more time because some of us will begin to check out, me included, very early in the morning and some of you walk away. While it was still dark, there you go. Jesus got up a challenge. He left the house. No, I do that. He went to a solitary place, extroverts panicking, where he prayed and all of us go, I don't, I don't like to pray. It's hard. It's frustrating. Oh, I know. You tried it for three, four, five days, maybe three, four, five weeks. You decided you were going to get up and be extra holy, and you were going to wake up before God does, and you were going to go downstairs with your journal and your cup of coffee, and within two or three days, you would have paid $10,000 to make it stop. Why is prayer so hard? Because it is so spiritual, and we are so physical. The thought of going to bed early and not watching our show or, or not checking out everything that everyone's ever fo- posted on Facebook, uh, how, how could I? Easily. You see, it's inconvenient to live a life that honors Jesus. It's hard to be a spiritual person in a carnal world. I don't want you to feel guilty or full of shame. I'm telling you, I understand. But my understanding doesn't give us permission to settle for less than Jesus wants us to have. His authority, His power are available to us. It's just a matter of whether or not we believe that His words are true, that His holiness is right, and that His kingdom is worth investing in listen to me Jesus prayed before his baptism he prayed before he called the twelve he prayed before he fed the multitude on two occasions he prayed at the transfiguration he prayed before he raised Lazarus he prayed on the night with his disciples before they murdered him he prayed in Gethsemane he prayed hanging on the cross do you understand the power of Jesus came in the relationship he had with God not in the things he did so when he speaks what will we do we will pray And when he calls us to obey, what will we do? We will pray. And when we're tired and lonely and feel like the world is whipping us at every direction, we will fall on our knees and pray. And the world will say, what a useless act. And we will remember Jesus gained his power by the time he spent with God in prayer. So if we're powerless, pray. Jesus prayed for the will of God, the timing of God, and the glory of God. And then in verse 38. They came to him while he was praying and said, they're looking for you. And he replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. The introvert in me loves that. They said, hey, there's a crowd. and He went, okay, I'll go this way. But he said, listen, I, I'm not here to just heal. I'm not here just to cast out Demons. I'm here to present the gospel because the gospel is not a methodology. The gospel is a person. His name's Jesus. That's why we've called this entire series for as long as it takes, The Gospel. It's about one man who came from a loving father to be our king, to establish a new kingdom, not one day, but this day and by establishing this kingdom to show his authority over all that we've lost to remind us that when the world tries to steal everything from us God has everything for us that he will protect us he will provide for us and even if this world should take our life he will give us a new life a better life a greater life with no regrets he said I must go throughout the world so they know that I am the answer to all of life's problems and that's the Jesus we worship here today I'm going to tell you right now you better buckle up if you love music like I love music, you're about to just, you're be, to be blessed. Sarah's going to come and lead us in a song, and it's probably a new song for a majority of us. Yet I've been moved to tears, both services this morning, and excited about this one. I want you to listen to the words. Some of us, we enjoy the music and the feeling, but I'm going to ask you, I'm going to beg you this morning. If you want to be moved in the power of God, listen to the words we're singing together. Listen to Sarah as she sings it, and as you get to, to learn the tune and the melody, jump in. Sing it any time you want. But the music that we're about to express is our testimony. So I'm going to beg you, if you know who Jesus Christ is, as the demon shrieked, let us sing. Let us testify in this place with power that Jesus Christ is the only authority we're ever going to need and it's the only authority we're ever going to choose. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening